Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Rescuers Radio Show at Faith Talk 1360 and faithtalk1360.com. And very special guest today, honored to have Betsy King as my guest, Hall of Fame golfer and uh, creator and sustainer of a very uh, successful uh, charity in Africa that we're going to be talking about, Golf for Africa. So, Betsy, hello. Hey, Art. Nice to be here. <laughs> Thanks for coming down to the studio today. Thank you. And uh, and I always like starting off the rescuers. Uh, you know, we have a worldwide audience. That's what I call it. And uh, I'm sure we do. We just don't know about them unless right. they let us know. But... Um, I'd like I'd like for our audience to get to know uh, my guest a little more intimately before we get into the bushes with everything else. So, sure. what, uh, give us a a, a a few minutes about your background. How how did you get here? Uh, well, I'm originally from outside of Reading, Pennsylvania, and I uh, graduated high school, went to college in South Carolina at Furman University, and then right after college, I qualified for the LPGA Tour and began playing on the tour, and I did that for 28 years. So wow. um, during that time, I started taking lessons from an instructor named Ed Oldfield, who was teaching out here in the Valley, and that's how I got out to Phoenix uh, in 1980. Now let's talk about your time on, on the tour, because it, I was reading a little bit about your number of years on the on the tour, but there's a five-year significant frame, right? <laughs> yeah. Where where you really won about mm. everything there was to win. Well, I, I have an unusual career in that it took me uh, about six and a half years before I won my first tournament. And then uh, after that, I ended up winning 34 times on the tour. So usually, if you're going to win that many times, you start earlier in your career. So I kind of was out there for a while without winning. And then once I started winning, in 1984 was my first win, and from 84 through 1995, I had the most wins of any golfer, male or female, in the world at that time. Nice. So, um, uh, and, and were you living here in the Valley then, or this was after college? No, I was living in the Valley. My first valley. winter out here was 1980. Okay. So I've, uh, I'm almost a native. I've been here 40 years. <laughs> I think that qualifies. <laughs> yes. I think it does. I've been in Arizona since 19. <laughs> Uh, 90, uh, 1981, actually. So, so um, well, we we have you qualified at an, as an official Arizonan uh, after you were winning tournaments and winning ma- uh, majors. Mm-hmm. 
you were uh, sometime after that you were inducted into the ladies uh, golf uh, LPGA right. Hall of Fame. Yes. And then the World Golf Hall of Fame. Yes. Yes. I'm in, well, I'm in a number of Hall of Fames. But, uh, <laughs> I'm in the Arizona Golf Hall of Fame. Probably at, your college. Yeah, probably Furman, yeah. the Pennsylvania yeah. Hall of Fame. And uh, the big one was the LPGA Hall of Fame was at the time the hardest Hall of Fame to qualify for. It was strictly on number of wins. And when I qualified, I was the 14th person to qualify. And that had been in 45 years. So, oh, my gosh. That uh, was back in 1995, and the tour originated in 1950. So, it uh, it was a pretty exclusive group to to be part of. Nice, and um, so golf is what you're what you were all about. And and without the golf, you probably couldn't be doing what you're doing right now. Is that fair to say? Very much so. Um, you know, the golf enabled me to make a living, and then also to have a platform to share my faith. I became a Christian while I was on the tour, and it really was the ups and downs of playing golf. And anyone that plays that's listening to this knows that you never play well all the time, and just when you think you have it, that's when it goes away. (laughs) Um, And so I had trouble handling that, particularly when it was for my job. And uh, I was invited to come to a retreat by one of the other players who was a Christian, and um, I attended that retreat and committed my life to Christ. That was in January of 1980, and it just changed my life completely, beginning with golf. You know, it helped to put things in perspective and just for me to say, hey, I'm going to go out and do the best that I can. I didn't need to compare myself to anyone else, but just to give my best, like playing for the Lord. So um, I did that, and then opportunities opened up to share my faith. I was actively involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, um, in the golf ministry, they're, they're based here in the valley, I think, right? Well, they do. They do have a chapter yeah. here. Um, I'm not quite as involved as yeah. I was, but I sat on the national board for six years, and I also went to about 25 golf camps over the years around the country. Um, and uh, it's a great way to introduce Christ to these young golfers that are pursuing golf, but uh, also are there to to grow in their faith as well. Well, the Valley of the Sun is a is a hotbed to see something with Valley Sun. Of mm-hmm. course it is. But uh, we have a lot of pro athletes that live here. A lot of pro golfers live here. Mm-hmm. And um, every year there's a an event on Monday of Phoenix Open Week. Mm-hmm. They do a Tales from the Tour. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those. I have. And and so there are, there are Christian golfers mm-hmm. here in the Valley, and it's great to hear from them, uh, even if they don't live here, but if they're identified as having a walk with Christ, uh, it's great to hear their stories, their backstories about mm-hmm. their walk with the Lord in golf. And and people may not realize how tough it is on the tour because you're not guaranteed a paycheck. Correct. <laughs> you know, right. you're, you're, it's, it's all, a, it's, it's all on you. It's all, it's right. all, it's a very individual sport. But uh, do you interact with those guys at all? The, with the men's? Um, you know, a little bit, not so much anymore. Yeah. We there, at one point there was a tournament called the Mixed Team Championship where you played with one of the guys, oh. and so that ran for probably fifteen to twenty years. Yeah. So that was nice to to see the guys each uh, once a year, anyway. And I've played with some of the probably. Uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to play with Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and uh, wow. Lee Trevino, Greg Norman, Seve Ballesteros, kind of the the Hall of Fame guys. Della Crum, yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, not so much with the, the players today. Yeah. So before we move on, what are your thoughts on today's LPGA? 
It's, um, you know, the players are very good. It's very international, much more so than when I was playing, even though we would go to Japan every year and then later Korea. But now it's it's a completely world tour. Um, they're probably, you know, 15 events, 20 events here, and then the rest are outside the U.S. Uh, within Asia and also in Europe. So it's uh, it's grown quite a bit. Um, you know, COVID obviously has, cha- has changed things a lot this year. They were down from uh, middle of March. In fact, they were supposed to be playing the Founders Cup here in Phoenix in March, and it got called off like the uh, Friday before the tournament um, was to start the following week. So um, we missed the Founders this year, and um, they didn't start back up until uh, the beginning of August. So it's uh, and their t- and their tour is not ending till the middle of December this year. It's really going to okay. go for a long time. Yeah. So um, after golf, mm-hmm. somehow you uh, you you started mm-hmm. uh, the charity of golf for F O R E right Africa. Yes. So tell us about that. Well, I had the opportunity to go to Africa. Um, actually, to, to go back further than that, when I was still playing on the tour. Through our Christian fellowship group on tour, we had a Bible study one night a week and had a Christian fellowship group that would get together, and we started doing humanitarian projects. Um, we did Habitat for Humanity builds and other things, and one of the projects was to raise money for a village in Tanzania, Africa, called Ruva Vermiti. We did that in 2001. Um, we were supposed to travel to Africa, but when 9-11 happened, that trip was canceled, so I had never made it to Africa. Wow. So. In 2006, I had the opportunity to go there with World Vision, a Christian relief and development agency that's in about 100 countries around the world. And I was one of 12 women that went on this trip to see the effects of poverty Mm -hmm. and the AIDS pandemic, particularly on women and children. Um, It was such a life-changing trip. Every woman on that trip came back and said, I need to do something in my sphere of influence to make a difference. So for me, I thought, hey, I was on the tour for 28 years. Golfers are very charitable people. They also, um, a lot of them have, you know, a certain level of income. Let's see if we can't raise funds within the golf community to help in Africa. Outstanding. And and, and a lot of the top-tier players have their own mm-hmm. foundation, right, that mm-hmm. they can work through. And mm-hmm. so um, so what was the, uh, you, so you're now going, you have the name, uh, golf for Africa, right. and uh, what what became the real purpose? Uh, what was the focus when we, you got there? Well, we started raising funds for d- various projects in Africa. I, I've so much need. There is, yeah. there is. I mean, that was one of the first things I learned when I was over there. The first trip I went on, I found out the average African ate five times a week, and wow. uh, you know, the, a lot of people lack access to clean water. So. We started raising funds for different things. We built a medical clinic. We worked with uh, in schools, and we worked um, addressing the AIDS pandemic. And then as time went on, about the last four years, we said we're going to exclusively raise funds for clean water because if without water, I mean, other than air, you can live um, <laughs> the least amount of time, you know, without water. So we started funding hand pump wells in villages and mechanized systems at health clinics and schools. And December uh, of last year, I just did my 25th trip to Africa, and we took along uh, Atha Munoz, who's on the tour right now, an Arizona State uh, grad who plays on the LPGA. She and her mom came, and they uh, had raised money for a well, so we dedicated that well, and we had several other people on the trip 
that also had funded wells. So were the wells in existence, or did you have to have the, the wells dug for you at that time? Or No, they uh, they were f- completed when we were there. I've been and seen, okay. uh, it's been fun to be a part of when they bring water to the surface yeah. for the first time. It's got to be incredible. We're all dancing under the water and getting wet. And, <laughs> but, you know, it's very life-changing. If, if you can imagine not ever having water, clean water in your, in your life, and then here it is. So... Um, I, so I've gotten to do that several times. But usually when we take donors, they've already completed the well. Um, there's a plaque there, and we share, we celebrate with the community. There's a ribbon cutting. It's like turning the well over to the community. So it's theirs to take care of. And in, uh, beside the, the clean water, there's also behavior change that goes along with that. You know, you need to... Um, uh, know how to keep yourself clean and and the other things that you need to do to make it more beneficial to have the clean water there. And that that probably helps. I'm just thinking of another avenue uh, of of charity, charitable organizations there. There must be a lot going to Africa, but maybe that would be even with clean water, that would that would add to the medical community. Yes. uh, Everything they're trying to do probably begins with having clear water, right? Right. You know, it's funny because obviously you think of health improves, but there's so many other things. Education goes up, particularly for girls, because in Africa it's usually girls that are walking for water. So when you have to spend hours a day walking for water, then you can't go to school. So attendance at school creeps up when when there's water there. Um, it, It produces economic opportunity. Every time we go, we see a business that's grown up around the well. I saw a brick-making business. Um, they're just different things that you can do now. That your crops are better because of having the water, the water right there. Yeah. And now you have a little extra money to take care of your children and to make sure that they're all in school. So it, it really is, they say water is life, and that water changes everything, and both those statements are very true. Yeah. So my wife and I, uh, the closest we've ever been to World Vision, we, we actually adopted mm-hmm. uh couple of children through world vision sponsored Sponsored, yes not adopted but sponsored and uh the first letter we got from i think this was in uganda Mm. Uh, we had a little boy about six or seven years old and we got a letter he would draw pictures and and send them back to us and um world vision added a note that your 35 dollars a month has just uh, increase the family income times five. Right. And I thought uh, per month. Right. And I thought, oh my gosh. Yeah. We just have no no clue here. I know. I know. We don't know what poverty really yeah, is. We don't. When when you go in an area and everyone's in poverty, mm-hmm. and you know people don't even have clean water. They, yeah. um, you know, no electricity. It's it's just a whole different game. Yeah. Um, they're walking. You know, they don't have uh, transportation. It, it's it's just. It's like going back, you know, 120 years um, <laughs> or more. But, um, you know, the spirit of the people is unbelievable. They're very friendly. Um, you know, I always say this is just like God, but they are great dancers and great singers. And, you know, you don't need any money to do either one of those things. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so they always put us to shame. We're always, uh, you know, we have to dance as part of the celebration. And, um, they, it's just great. I, I, um, every time I go, I'm inspired to come back and, and to do more to make a difference. How could you not be Yeah. when you see that, that difference between there and here? Uh, we really don't have a clue. Um, 
So uh, we were talking earlier about um, you also take some current golfers Mm -hmm. over with you, right, to indoctrinate them. You know, they've probably never seen anything like this or done anything like this. Right. Just play golf, right? Right. Um, Well, as I mentioned, Arthur Munoz was with me Mm -hmm. last December. We've also had um, Cheyenne Woods went with us one year. And Cheyenne lives here in the Valley and fundraised for a well, used her social media followers to help raise money for a well. Uh, Amy Olson and Catherine Kirk, who are both on the tour right now, have been with us to, to Africa. And Amy is uh, wears a Golf for Africa hat on tour and carries a <laughs> nice. Golf for Africa bag. So we've, we're getting a lot of exposure through that. Um, Julie Inkster, Stacy Lewis. Um, I've just Big been names. yeah. A lot of uh, players have helped us. Uh, number one, we we host golf events around the country using LPGA players, and they've all participated in our events and. Secondly, they've all personally funded wells or made contributions to what we're doing. And then, as I mentioned, a number of them have also traveled to Africa. So, um, you know, the LPGA players are very giving people, and they appreciate the opportunities that they've been given and and that they have, and they want to make the most of it by helping others. So when you go in, when you do one of these trips mm-hmm. uh, with World Vision, that makes it easier probably because yes. you don't have to set up a lot of things on your own. Correct. Which you probably did in the beginning, right? Right. Now, with World Vision, um, they have staff on the ground. Okay, good. And like in Zambia, there's about 600 staff that live wow. uh, around the country. Yeah. Most are native to Zambia, and so they, obviously they uh, speak the languages, although there's so many different languages. I think there's about 70 in Zambia. Oh, my gosh. I, I believe there's four principal languages. So depending what part of the country we were going in, there's a different language being spoken. But, um, you know, we have translators with us, interpreters. So, um, And then some some of the people know a little bit of English. It used to be Br- a British-controlled country, yes. and they do learn English in school. Um, but anyway, it's— um, World Vision does a great job. I love their their uh, method of working. Um, you know, they're a Christian organization, but they help everyone. Um, they're um, at, on a scale that's uh, very big. They're in about 100 countries around the world, 45,000 people worldwide that work for World Vision. And then um, the way they bring in the local people, and you try to get the—you come into a community. You don't come in and tell them everything they have to do. You get them on board as partners, and they help you and and say these are the needs that we're facing, and then they they come together to to bring about the solutions, and it makes such uh, makes so much sense to me. Well, and and it's a it's a great way to uh, to take the word every time, right? Definitely, definitely. And uh, I don't know if the countries are 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 Christian already, but my guess is it's a good way to spread Christianity. It is very much so. Um, You know, in in fact, they oftentimes are working in some Islamic countries where they can't Mm -hmm. really share. But if someone asks them, why are you here? You know, I'm here because I love God and I love Jesus. And it's from that love that I want to help you. Um, But in Zambia, they are a Christian nation. And so it's interesting because when we're in the, quote, public schools, you can talk and you can pray and talk about your faith. And they're much more open to faith than it is here in the United States. It's kind of kind of, um, you know, depressing in that way that we have lost that in the public school system here. Yeah. And that's how they were established. (laughs) Right. right. So um, I hope I hope someday our country gets back. But but. It reminds me of uh, a conversation I had once with a uh, a Methodist pastor from uh, Kenya Mm. was visiting our church. And uh, my wife and I had him over to our house for lunch afterwards. And 
and we had a wonderful three four hour talk and and I asked him the question uh what are your uh, he was talking about people standing out on street corners and coffee shops wherever and they're they're, they're carrying bibles with them mm-hmm. they're they're very upfront about their their walk with the lord mm-hmm. and so I said, what's your impression of Christianity in America and he had a very quick answer. 3,000 miles wide and one inch deep. Right, right. <laughs> You've probably heard that before. No, I haven't, but it, I think it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought, wow, that's that's where we are, I guess, you know, from from that perspective, because they, they, they're very open. But um, so, so things are pretty set up. They know you're coming mm-hmm. and how many people you're coming or coming with you or whatever mm-hmm. that is. And you already know what the task is going to be when you go. It's it's going to be around clean water all the time. Um, well, we visit different schools. Uh, it's interesting because at, at the school level, they have these clubs called Wash Clubs, Water Sanitation and Hygiene, oh, and they kind of like COVID. Right. <laughs> well, it's a, uh, particularly important now, but yeah. um, it's neat because Sesame Street has a partnership with World Vision. Really? They've actually created a character called Raya. And she teaches the kids about how you stay clean, you know, about washing your hands and before you eat and after you go to the bathroom. And um, then the kids go home and tell the parents, these are the things that we need to do. And um, it's they also have a game that's almost like Twister. It's on the ground on a a big mat and it has uh, pictures of things that you do. Like, for instance, might have a picture of a tippy tap. A tippy tap is how you wash your hands. Um, near the the um, bathroom, and it's a it's just a jug of water, and you tip it over using this. Oh. Uh, you press this rope, and it tips over, and you wash your hands. So it says, "What do you do when you go to the bathroom?" I use the latrine, and then I use the tippy tap to wash my hands. Um, they you have to learn to to build a dish rack to get the dishes off the ground, and to dig a pit for your garbage. I mean, obviously they don't have garbage pickup, so you you know you're out in a rural area and so you bury your garbage and you know to keep the area clean and then you dig a new hole you know 6 months later wow it's just very basic things but it really makes a difference so you help out with all those things when you're there well we or there's other people working with they, you obviously yeah the the local um the local workers have gone literally household to household to get every household to do these things wow. to have the dish rack to um have a tippy tap to have the pit latrine um, they collect a little money, so there's uh, untrained and basic repairs of the well. So there's a wash committee that protects the well, and so when it breaks down, they, they know how to re- repair it, and they also have the money to repair it. Um, it's very important. So um, we always go to a village that has not received clean water, and that is so eye-opening so for everyone. Regard, um the well is there. Mm-hmm. The taps are there mm-hmm. to, to pull out water. Uh, do they still have to travel far to get to that well? Some people may have to do that. Or? Yes. Well, they the goal is that you don't have more than a 15-minute walk to okay. get water. Um, and then it, at schools and health clinics, that's when we do a regular mechanized system where you actually have taps. And you might have 70 taps on a line. And so a number of those are in the medical clinic. They'll have showers um, before these women, when they were going to give birth, they had to bring water with them to the health clinic, if oh you can imagine gosh, that. no. And so now they have running water in the clinic. And then along that line, if 
there may be, you know, 60 taps that are outside the clinic, and some of those may be literally right outside someone's home. It wouldn't be within the home, but outside. So now they just have to walk outside to get water. Um, so it really makes a difference. Is there, have they figured out a way, or have you helped them figure out a way to heat water? Well, they, most of these people are cooking it on open fires. Oh, okay. You know, you don't have electricity. Yeah, you have a hut. Right. You have a hut that has an open fire, yep. or you, or you might just be cooking outside. My gosh. Yeah. So we have a lot to learn, don't we? Yes. <laughs> it was uh, pretty eye-opening my first time over there. And you've been going for 25 years? Uh, my first trip was in 1906, so uh, about 15 years, and I've made 25 trips. Wow. Uh, we're at the three-minute mark right now, and so we're going to be we're going to be closing this out pretty soon. But um, I just I'm so amazed at what you've accomplished because somebody needs to step up and say I- I'm going to do this right, right. And and you were that person in the beginning, right? Well, you know, once you see, I feel like when you, God allows you to see something that you have to do something about it. Yeah. He just doesn't want you to see it and not do anything. So, you know, I came back from that trip. I said, what can we do? And I fortunately had a good friend that was with me, Debbie Casada, and so we started Golf for Africa together. We've raised, I believe, over $12 million so far, and um, we're just a small part of the goal in the world is that by the year 2030, everyone should have access to clean water. So that's what we're trying to do. So in our last minute of the program, Betsy, I'd li- I I like asking all of my guests, uh, during COVID, there's gonna, there's, everybody's writing a story. There's going to be a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. What's your story going to be like after COVID? After COVID? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's changed a little bit for me, but maybe not for a, as much as other people. I didn't travel for a little while, but, you know, I've traveled since the middle of July. Um, so I'm, I'm, it's kind of getting back to a little bit of normal. I would say I, I, I had the opportunity to spend time in Pennsylvania this summer with friends that I grew oh, up good. with and went to school with. And so that probably was the biggest change, was reconnecting with childhood friends. It was great. Nice. Well, Betsy, thank you so much, and God bless you for all you're doing. Uh, This is the Rescuers Radio Show on faithtalk1360.com. You can also listen to the podcast of our shows at that site as well, as well as Spotify, Instagram, and iPodcast. Rescuers. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.